we're walking through it up to about chapter 9. We have talked about the disciples. We talked about the 12 guys that Jesus picked and why he picked them and how he used them. We talked about Jesus leaving in Acts chapter 1. We talked about the Holy Spirit coming in Acts chapter 2. We talked about Pentecost and a number of people coming to Christ, 3,000 people at least, that were saved and baptized and added to the church. We now get to chapter 3. We're introduced to the disciples getting ready after Pentecost to kind of start their ministry now. So you're going to see them. Now what's interesting in this is we're going to be looking at a miracle this morning that's performed by Peter. But what's significant about the miracle, and it's the healing of a lame man, what's significant about it is we see a pattern in the Bible. When, when Jesus, early in the ministry of Jesus, one of the first miracles, or not the first, but one of the first early miracles Jesus performed is the healing of a lame man. When we start, when the disciples start their ministry after Jesus leaves, one of the first, in their case, the first miracle is the healing of a lame man. When Paul gets ready to start his earthly ministry, one of the things that we see early in his ministry is the healing of a lame man. We're not sure why, but it seems to be this pattern where as people start their ministry, one of the things that kind of takes their ministry from here to here is this type of healing. And, it, and, and people take notice, and you're going to see why this morning in this story, why this would have been so shocking, because we get a lot of clues um, as we go to the story. So Acts chapter 3, uh, here's what it says, and uh, we'll talk about it and then uh, apply it. So it says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. It's going on. Now when Peter and John about to when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. So, that's the story so far. So let's break it all down so we understand it. First of all, we see Peter and John together. Often you have seen Peter and John together. You saw them together at the tomb. You saw them together in business at the beginning of being called disciples. Uh, A lot of reasons for that. Uh, A lot of people believe that in, in the Jewish world at that time, something was not considered true or authentic if there weren't at least two people witnessing it. So a lot of people, that's, a lot of people believe that's one of the reasons Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. It's because there was, a, there was an authenticness about what they were doing because there were two of them to verify it. And so we see Peter and John together, and notice, uh, and notice what it says. It says that they went at the ninth hour, okay? Uh, at ninth hour, some of the Bible, it's 3 p.m. All right, now, here's what you need to understand, why that's important. They were going up to the prayer time at 3 in the afternoon. In the Jewish world, that was the last evening sacrifice before the end of the day, which was going to come at at sunset. So in the Jewish world, they would have prayer times at the temple all day long, but the the 3 o'clock hour was like the last... The last show of the day, okay? It's like going to the movies, and the last time this thing shows is at this point. 
That was the end, the end of the day. The last time you could bring a sacrifice on that given day was 3 p.m., all right? Those were usually, because it was the hot part of the day, those were usually the largest crowds as well. So you have a lot of people coming in to kind of do the last thing of the day um, on, on the sacrifice part of it. We read in this text that the man was crippled from birth, and that's important. That's very important to our story. So this is a guy who has never experienced walking ever. And it says that his, he was carried to the temple and placed at the gate. We get the impression from the text later that this is something this guy did every day. This was his routine. Now, you need to understand that being lame or crippled or handicapped in the first century was much, much different than it is today. And I don't want to be too graphic here, but I, want, I do want you to understand the seriousness of it. You see, they didn't have wheelchairs. So if you're going to get anywhere, somebody had to carry you. So every day, this guy is dependent upon somebody to carry him and set him outside of the temple. He wasn't allowed in the temple. He was crippled. Somebody would have to get him food because he couldn't go get into himself. If he went to the bathroom, somebody would have to carry him to a spot where he could go, and then somebody would have to clean up afterwards, cover it up, bury it up. He had no way to make an income, so the only way that many of them would make an income is they would, they would, they would beg for money, alms. So often they would sit and cry out, alms, 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 alms. And people often would just take coins and throw them at them. That was his life, and that was his life every day, day after day, day after day, day after day. That was the life of all the crippled and lame people of that day. Because now, he probably would take the money and use it to buy food or maybe even to pay somebody to take him somewhere or to take care of him or to do things, but that was his total life. In that day, lame, crippled people were not people that, that they, they, were, they were castaways from society. Society didn't have a system to deal with them. So society just pushed them off and said, you're kind of on your own. And this guy had enough friends or had enough people in his little circle that every day they would pick him up and they would carry him and they would set him by this gate, beautiful. We're not sure which gate this was at the temple. There are a lot of gates there. A lot of people believe that this was a gate um, that had uh, one of the largest, heaviest gates in Jerusalem um, at the time. Uh, it, it was made of, there, there was a gate at the time made of Corinthian bronze. Uh, most of the gates were, when you get in the temple area, most of the gates were, were covered in gold or silver. There was one gate that, that, that Josephus tells us about that was made of Corinthian bronze and was actually worth more than the gates that were made out of gold and silver uh, plated. In fact, the gate was so large and so incredibly impressive, at the end of the day, to shut the gate took 20 people. Um, so it's a pretty massive thing. A lot of people believe that's the gate that we're talking about. Um, what you need to understand is that in the Jewish world, uh, there are three pillars of the Jewish 
Jewish rabbis taught were very, very important to a Jew. The first was the Torah, which is the Word of God. So to a Jew, the Word of God, the Torah, was, was very, very important. The second pillar was that of worship. So that would involve prayers and coming to the temple and, 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 and synagogue and praising God and, and all those kinds of things. And the third was charity. Um, so in the Jewish world, what would happen is um, those were three pillars that if you wanted to be a good Jew, you practiced those three things. And the more you practiced those three things, the better a Jew you were. So if you were constantly going to temple and you were constantly worshiping and you were constantly memorizing the Torah and you were constantly doing things as works of charity, you were a really, really good Jew. And so often what would happen is uh, these people, again, think about this for a minute, because if you were a beggar, there were three places most of them got money. You would either sit outside of a rich man's house, you would sit outside a major area that people traveled, or you would sit outside the synagogue. And out of all of them, the synagogue was the moneymaker. Because think about it for a minute. If I'm a good Jew, I'm going to synagogue. What am I going to synagogue for? To worship. So I'm going to learn and hear the Torah read. I'm going to worship, and I need to give money. I need to do charity work. And if I don't have time to go invest in something, I do, I'm on the way to synagogue. So how easy is it for me to walk into synagogue to focus on the Torah and to focus on worship when I have just done charity by giving to somebody outside the synagogue? You see how this all makes sense? So often what would happen is, is the people would walk by, and again, so this guy, think about this for a minute, he's sitting there, he's lame, he can't stand up. He's got to get people's attention. So how do you get everybody's attention? You've got, you got to cry out. So often they would sit there and they would cry out, Alms! 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 Trying to get your attention. That was his world. And... If you've ever been in a major city and you've seen the beggars on the street, one of the things that you learn is never to make eye contact. So often this beggar, as he would sit there, would look down. He wouldn't make eye contact. And people walking by wouldn't make eye contact. They'd simply take whatever coin they have and they would throw it at him. And they would hear that little coin they would hear that coin hit and, 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 and reach out for it and put it wherever their pocket or whatever they had or purse or whatever they had with it. So that's the story. That's this guy's life. And he's doing that every single day, day in and day out. Notice what happens. Peter and John come along, and it's very interesting what they say to him. They look at him... And they stop. So that in and of itself is a big deal. Because people didn't stop and pay attention to beggars and lame people. And one of the things that he says to them is, see that little phrase right there, look at us? Very interesting. Here's why. That has already been mentioned in the book of Acts one other time. And it was mentioned 
Remember the story in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus goes up into heaven? It says, and Jesus ascends into heaven, and then the angel says, comes to the guys and says, you men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heavens? It's the same word used in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus goes up into heaven, and the disciples are standing there going, wow, that was awesome. When's he coming back? They don't want to take their eyes off. They're just standing there standing. And it's the same word. So when Peter and John look at this beggar and say, look at us. Look at us. Eyeball to eyeball. Engage with us right now. And it says, so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from him. He's thinking, oh, wow. Big payday today. Big payday. These guys want my attention These guys have noticed me. By the way, if, as I believe the the text kind of hints at, this guy's done this every day, and if Peter and John have gone to synagogue every day as part of their ritual, they probably passed this guy before. But today's different. Today's different. Notice what the rest of the story goes. Verse 6. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I don't have. Huh. Okay, I'm done looking at you. You know, I, I wanted money. And he goes, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly... The man's feet became the man's feet and ankles became strong. If you have ever, ever, ever done any kind of surgery or been laid up for any length of time, and the first time you step on a floor, you know how long it takes to get your, your strength back to be able to walk and to move. So the fact that this guy can stand up and it is instantaneous and all of a sudden it's like this guy's been walking forever is pretty incredible. And that's what it goes on to say. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. He went with them into the temple courts, walking, this is very interesting, and jumping. It's a very interesting word. Here's why. It's used in the Septuagint. That's, an, that's the Greek version of the Old, Hebrew Old Testament. And it's used in Isaiah chapter 53, or Isaiah 37, I think, or 35. Um, I got it in here somewhere. Uh... <laughs> All right, it's used in Isaiah. Wait a minute, here it is. Ah, Isaiah 35, yeah. Isaiah chapter 35. It's used in Isaiah chapter 35, talking about in the kingdom to come that people will be, and here's the phrase, leaping like a deer. It says the lame will leap like a deer. It's the same word. It's not used hardly ever at all except here and there. And, 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 and in describing this, he says he's, he's leaping, jumping, walking and jumping, and praising God. Now it goes on. Notice what it says uh, in verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him to be the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Next week, we're going to talk about how Peter uses this to jump off and then tell people about Christ. But I'm going to end it here today. 
with, us, with this understanding. This guy now, for the first time, since birth, stands up. And where does he go? Temple. This is important because this is going to become a theme. This is the first time he's ever been in the temple. He spent his entire life to this point on the outside. Now he's on the inside. And he is so excited. He is jumping up and down like a kid who has been given a boatload of candy. He is all energy. And he is walking around praising God, telling everybody, look at this, this is awesome. And, and, and the people go, wait a minute, we know who you are. We've watched you day after day. You're the guy who set out there, how is this possible? And Peter next week is going to help them understand it's because of the person of Jesus Christ. But what I want you to understand is when this happens, everybody notices And they are literally amazed at what God has done. And this starts the ministry of the disciples in the book of Acts. A couple of takeaways for us and a couple of things that I think are important to us. You're going to see this theme in the book of Acts about outsiders becoming insiders over and over again. You're going to see an Ethiopian eunuch who was put on the outside of the whole Jewish world and the whole getting close to God thing, become a believer. You're going to watch women who were social outcasts in the religious world, who were pushed aside. You know, you hear people culturally saying, you know, well, you know, Christianity puts down women, puts down women, puts down... No, no, those people have never read history. Those people do not understand that Christianity was one of the first religions that came along that took the position of a woman and elevated it. Because for the first time, they became equal co-heirs with Christ. And that was a radical teaching. You're going to watch Gentiles who have never been allowed as part of that system to all of a sudden be able to fellowship and worship and become close to God. And you're going to watch Paul later argue, and even even Peter, argue about why they should be included because not everyone believed that should happen. You see, one of the great things about this story is this. An outsider got to go inside. Often I I deal with people who, for some reason, have been convinced that, that, that church, Christianity, whatever is not for them. Because they look at their life and they go, you know what, I mean, I, I've done so much stuff. I, you know, God, God can't use me. God can't, you know, I've I messed it up so bad, blah, 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 blah. No, you don't understand the gospel. The whole gospel is about the fact that outsiders can, can become insiders. Outsiders can, can enjoy it. You've watched. We've talked about the 12 disciples. And what do you have with the 12 disciples? You have 12 guys who are work in progress. God didn't wait till they all had their act together to use them. God said, you want to love me? You want to follow me? Great. You're in, and we'll work on you from here on out. 
And that's the church. That's what the church body should be. It should be people who come in and go, look, you know what? I want you to embrace me as I am, and I want to follow Christ so that he can change me as we go. And if that's what you want, it doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your story. God says, I want to use you. I want a relationship with you. I want to make you part of my family. We'll figure the rest out later. And that is so important that we understand that. Because you know as well as I do, there are people in this community who say, I could never go there because my life is so messed up. What I'm here to tell you is, this place is for people like that. Because the Christian story, the Christian message of Jesus Christ is, I'm not here to keep everybody on the outside. I'm not here to push everybody away. I'm here to tell people that, look, if you want to follow me, we'll figure it out as you go. I will work in your life. You want to, and you watch this with the disciples. You watch extremes, guys who were tax collectors and guys who were zealots, and God said, I'll use you. And the story has never changed. And you see this now, and it's actually going to start to lay itself out over and over again in the book of Acts. Second idea is this. Peter and John saw an opportunity they'd never seen before. Peter and John walked by him before. Peter and John had heard him yell out before. Peter and John went to the temple every day. Now all of a sudden, they opened their eyes and God impressed upon their heart to say something to heal this guy. And by the way, you need to understand, there are a lot of lame people that would have been around this area. But this is the one that God laid on their heart. And this is the one that was, stand, that was sitting in front of them. And this is the one that they focused on. Here's my question. Who is it this week in your world that God wants you to see? Who you've walked past, who you've ignored, who you've put into some category, and you're missing what God wants to do in their life through you? Who is it? Because I guarantee you there's somebody that you probably haven't thought of up to this point. But they're there. They're in front of you. They're in your world. You go, well, you know, yeah, well, okay, maybe I could get you as the pastor to meet them. No. I got lots of people in my world I'm trying to reach. And don't ask me to do your job. God's put them in your world. God's given you the relationship with them. God's given you the opportunity to have interaction with them. I'm the third wheel. I have to start from scratch. You're already there. And you go, well, you know, I'm just afraid I will mess it up. No, you're not going to mess it up. God's worked too hard to, to orchestrate all of that for him to let you drop the ball. When you're going, God, I just want you to use me, but I don't know what to say. He will open your mouth and fill it, and before you know it, God will be using you, and you'll go, I don't know how that happened, but that was pretty amazing. But you've got to be willing to open your eyes and look at the world a little differently than you do. And, and in this situation, God, and look, there's somebody, you know, as I'm talking right now, there's somebody God's impressed on your heart. That's who it is. That's who it is. 
And I want to encourage you this week to look for those opportunities because these guys, again, what would have been the easy thing? Throw money, keep going. Do what I've always done. The hard thing? Look at me. I got no money for you. But what I do have, I want to share with you. Let's go to the synagogue together. And his life is forever changed. Which brings me to the last thing. What he thought he needed was not what he needed. You get that? What he thought he needed was not what he really needed. See, he had been, he had been lame from birth. I'm sure his buddies and his friends and his family had taken him to everybody that they thought could help him. And there came a point in which, you know, he just gave up and went, you know what, I, I'm not even going to ask for healing anymore. I'm not even going to ask to try to be fixed anymore. It is what it is. So he sits there wanting money because that helps his world. And that's what he thinks is the answer to his problem today. Give me money so I can keep going. Give me money. So I imagine when Peter and John looked at him and said, we don't have any silver and gold. I mean, when they looked at it, when they would have stopped and said, look at us, and he went, I don't have any money. (laughs) But they had something far better. God had something far better. And listen to me, because this is so important for us. Too many times we get into situations where we pray for God to act a certain way or respond a certain way because we think that's what we need. That's not really what we need. God wants to do something much bigger. It might mean a lot of pain. It might mean a lot of difficulty. It might mean a lot of hardship. It might mean a lot of heartache. But God's working something far better in his kingdom than you and I could ever imagine. Sometimes we go through some tough stuff. I look at the history of this church. There are some days in the history of this church that we went through that, honestly, you could not give me enough money to go through it again. You know? I mean, you know, they they were gut-wrenching times. There were times that, 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 that just, I mean, they hurt to even think about some of them. Because it was so painful. Because of things that were said and people were acting in certain ways and people wanting to do stuff and agendas and all that kind of stuff. And, and you couldn't give me enough money. Like I said, if you were just going to give me money to go through it again, there's not a dollar figure that my wife and I would agree to. I can tell you right now. You wouldn't do it for a million bucks? No. 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 Two million? No. That's a lot of money. Yes. No. No. But if you told me the only way to get where we are as a church today is to go through that, then I'd say, okay, but I'm not doing it willingly. When we were going through those things, I thought I knew how to pray and what I wanted for the answer. That wasn't what we really needed. 
And it was through some of those times that developed the core thinking and, and undergirding and strengthening of where we are right now. What I thought we needed was not what God knew we needed. And some of you may be there right now. Where you're going through something and you want God to act a certain way or respond a certain way, and he's not doing that. Can I suggest to you the idea that he may know more about what you need than you know? Can I suggest to you the idea that he may be working something far greater than you've ever considered? Can I suggest to you the idea that God is preparing something that he is going to take and use to impact something far down the line, but it's going to require right now some tough, ugly, hard, gut-wrenching kind of experiences. You see, I've done this long enough, and I've, I've walked my Christian journey long enough to know sometimes that's what happens. And while you won't, don't ever want to go through it twice, sometimes you go through it, and you will never understand on this side of the grave why. You never will. But I guarantee you when the Bible says that there will come a day when we shall know, as he knows, we will start to understand what he was doing in the big picture. And then it will be worth it. Because you'll be able to see how God used that difficult, hard, tragic thing to accomplish something that you never had any idea of. This guy thought he needed money. He really needed Jesus. You may think that you have the solution to your problem figured out, but I would suggest God has something much bigger at play. And that's where the idea of faith and trust in God's plan instead of my own really starts to flesh itself out. You see, it's easy to trust God when things go like we want them to go. Honestly, that doesn't take a lot of faith. But it's hard to trust God when it's tough and difficult and ugly. That's when our faith's really strengthened. That's when our faith is really undergirded. That's when our faith is really built. And for some of you, that's where you are. That's what God's doing. It's not that he's against you. It's just the opposite. He's trying to do something far greater, but you think you know what the answer is, but he really knows the answer is much different than you do. And so you trust him to say, God, I don't understand why. Don't really want to go through this. Lord, I'd love it to work out this way. But Lord... Not my will, but yours be done. That's what Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, look, if there's another way out of this, I'm all in. But Lord, this isn't about what I want. This is about what you want. So Lord, if it's possible to let this cup of suffering pass from me, I'm all in. But if it's not, 
Your will be done, not mine. That's what it means to walk in those difficult, dark, hard times. This guy thought he knew what the solution to his problem was. God knew much better, and he does for us as well. So I end this week with this. I end with the idea that Peter and John opened their eyes to the opportunities that God put in front of them. While the beggar didn't know his real need, Jesus did. The message of the early church was that God would now be accessible to everyone, no matter what their background. God desires to change your life when you and I choose to follow him. Let him work this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we all think we know what's best. But uh, the reality of it is, Lord, our thoughts are not your thoughts. Our ways aren't yours. Lord, we want you to use us. We want you to work to help reach our community. Lord, for some, that means that uh, the, the future is not what we would have in mind, but rather, Lord, it's something far different. Lord, if in the big picture we reach our community for you, then that's what we're here for. Lord, for others, I pray that you would encourage their hearts to open their eyes this week. Lord, they might be able to minister to the people you have put in front of them. And Lord, when it is all said and done, may people see Christ in us. May they understand that, Lord, we're here to help anyone who wants to come through those doors and be helped. Lord, use us this week. And when it is all said and done, may you be honored and glorified the way we live our lives. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Uh, let's stand and we're going to sing.